do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. In the hustle and bustle of everyday life, nurturing genuine covenant community is no easy task. Missional and relational rootedness always require of us deliberateness and intentionality. It can be hard and messy work, but the truth is the men and women and families who need Christ in our towns and neighborhoods are far more likely to be attracted to our churches by the vibrancy of our relationships than the incisiveness of our vision statement or the technical wizardry of our website or even the oratorical brilliance of our preaching. That's why we should eat together, regularly, joyously. There is nothing quite as effective in ministry as fellowship around the table or dinner on the grounds. In his famous diary, Samuel Pepys observed, a good dinner and feasting reconciles everybody. And he's right. As Shakespeare quipped, small cheer and great welcome makes a merry feast and much gladness. I don't know about you, but I, for one, love food. I love everything about food. I love eating it, of course, but I also love talking about it, thinking about it, reminiscing about it. I love the social rituals that surround good meals. I love all of the wonderful family traditions that help to define special seasons, holidays, celebrations, and feasts. I love the kind of fellowship that can only be shared around a dinner table or across a picnic table or beside the kitchen counter or over the stove. And I'm not alone. Most other people love these things too. Alexander Schmemann has asserted, centuries of secularism have failed to transform eating into something strictly utilitarian. Food is still treated with reverence. To eat is still something more than to maintain bodily functions. People may not understand what that something more is, but they nevertheless desire to celebrate it. As Robert Farrar Capone has written, uh, to be sure, food keeps us alive. But that is only its smallest and most temporary work. Its eternal purpose is to furnish our sensibilities against the day when we shall sit down at the heavenly banquet and see how gracious the Lord is. Nourishment is only necessary for a little while. That, that eternal food, uh, we shall forever need. It is taste. Indeed, apart from its obvious sensate attractions, feasting is supremely spiritual. 
Consider the fact that we can hardly read a single page of Scripture without running into a discussion of bread and wine, milk and honey, leeks and onions, glistening oil and plump figs, sweet grapes and delectable pomegranates, roast lamb and savory stew. Everywhere we look, there are feasts and celebrations, fatted calves and pungent herbs, loaves and fishes. The story of man begins in a verdant, edible garden, and it culminates in a magnificent marriage feast. Think about how many ways the Lord uses food to preach the gospel to our hearts and lives. Faith is defined by hungering and thirsting. Covenant is shaped by hospitality and community. The pinnacle of worship is the gathering of God's people around his table laden with bread and wine. Food is the stuff of life. For a Christian, faith declares that Jesus came to give us life and that more abundantly. So it probably should not surprise us that he— and all of the other biblical teachers, writers, prophets, and apostles uh, would use food as a primary image in the language of theology. And have you ever noticed that nearly all of Christ's post-resurrection appearances occurred at meals? After appearing to his disciples and calming their fears at that first Easter evening, he asked them, have you anything here to eat? On the road to Emmaus, in the upper room, and at the edge of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus ate and drank with them. Later, after a miraculous catch of fish, he would beckon the disciples to join him in enjoying their bounty at a beachside picnic breakfast. Remember, Jesus did not say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I will enter in and discuss theology with him. Oh, no. Instead, Jesus said, I will come in and sup with him. What a difference. Years ago, I saw a small plaque in a kitchen supply store that read, A good theology will invariably produce a good meal. At first, I just chuckled dismissively, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized that the epigram conveyed a healthy apprehension of the biblical worldview. Like a fine feast, a good theology is more than the sum of its parts. While it is composed of certain essential beliefs, each of those essentials must be not carefully related to all the others. It sees crucial connections between the profound and the mundane, and it places as much significance on the bits and pieces as it does on the sums, and vice versa. A good theology is good for the soul, but it's also good for the world. Its spiritual vision gives vitality to all that it touches, from herb gardens and table settings to nation-states and cultures, because the integrity of what it declares depends as much on a balanced perspective of everyday life as it does on a solid comprehension of our highest aspirations. A delicious meal, a joyous celebration, or a seasonal feast portrays that truth 
in a very tangible way. A good theology, with its comprehensive worldview, inevitably affects the world for good. It cheers the heart like a sumptuous dish, as Jean Bion Savarin has declared, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. This is why it's always so delightful for us to observe Christian communities that gleefully embrace hospitality. One of the surest indications of healthy covenant love in a church is the appearance of saints bearing casseroles. In times of joy, in times of sorrow, in times of festal celebration, in times of mournful consternation, there is nothing quite like the power of food to facilitate a richer sense of our callings together, to prompt deeper conversations, to offer restorative consolation, and to foster enduring discipling relationships. So we need to schedule regular times for families to eat together, cook together, share recipes together, picnic together, barbecue together, and nosh together. We need to embrace food as a means of grace to reinforce the rhythm of the seasons, the pattern of the gospel through the course of the year. We all need to rediscover the wonder of table talk, the delights of slowing down just a little bit, the refreshment of varied conversation, and the recalibration and reorientation of life and perspective that comes from iron sharpening iron. And all this may be had from the ministry of food. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. There was glory in the air, and there was dinner on the ground. That is both resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, go to georgegrant.net.